Welcome back to another All About Jesus podcast. Uh, this is going to be a great uh, episode. We got Jim and Lorinda Paulson here from the Trenton area and just uh, been all over the place, I think, for being in the military and uh, just really glad to have them on here. We've been sitting here uh, just talking and getting to know each other, and it's just been uh, just been really awesome. Um, I was going to read a, a scripture here, Ephesians 3, 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Uh, Lorinda, will you start us off in prayer? Okay, Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that um, it has only been by your power, Father, that we are here and let the Lord, the places we've been, and Father, the people that you've had in our lives. And Lord, the people that's going to continue to be in our lives. And Lord, we just pray for this time together that, Lord, we will just lift you up. Father, may it be your words touching hearts of those who are listening for your purpose, for your plan, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd got the word that Jim was supposed to come on here, and I told him, and some things had happened, and Jim had got the word and uh, that he was supposed to come on and give me a call. And it's just awesome to know that when the Lord speaks to you, it's all confirmed and all uh, true. So just a really awesome moment that morning you called and said he was coming. We got our date planned and uh, here we are. So how are you today, Jim? I am well. I, I tell you, it might sound presumptuous to some to think that we can hear from the Lord. Mm-hmm. But Jesus said, my, my sheep hear my voice. And when you think about it, to be led by the Lord, that's priceless. Awesome. We are so blessed. Amen. I don't take that lightly. Yes. Yeah. How are you today, Lorinda? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Yes. Um, where would you like to start at, Jim? I know you got a powerful testimony and some great <laughs> teachings and uh, um, just wherever the Lord is leading you, let's just... Uh, get started with some of your testimony of how you even maybe got here or just your testimony of um, just your life and uh, Lorinda's life. Lorinda and I let, met in Bible college. Um, I went to, to college for two reasons. Um, I, I knew that I had a call to the ministry, mm-hmm. so I needed to go to Bible college, and I expected to find a godly woman there <laughs> to be my wife. <laughs> both of them worked well. Good. Um, and so uh, we were in the pastorate, associate pastor for four years, and then the senior pastor in New Haven, Missouri for three and a half years. And we received the call to the military chaplaincy. Oh, wow. Um, and so the short of it is that that's what we did for, for 26 years. And uh, a couple tours in Iraq. And some of the emotional trauma that comes with that. Mm-hmm. When you're a chaplain, you go where the blood is. That's your job, where people are dying and wounded and whatever, and, and uh, leaves a mark. Oh, I bet. And so the Lord has brought me through a lot. I'm very grateful. Um, he has done so much in my life, and I am so grateful. I, and yet I still have some of the residue and I believe that I will be healed. But I don't know when. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 
I mean, it is very obvious that he is working. And, and so, and, and yet some of these things remain. So anyway, we um, did 26 years, two tours in Iraq, and then, you know, other deployments, et cetera. But uh, then in 2018, we, we retired. And we came up here for a visit. We came up to see our daughter, son-in-law, Heidi Rice and Justin Rice. And uh, we came up for the summer, and then at, when, once I drove away from Fort Leonard Wood, which was my last duty station, um, well, I, I guess I, I was in worse shape than I thought I was. I knew I was having a hard time even at the end physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, just working a full day sometimes. Um, but we, we got here, and we're out there on, on their farm, ranch, whatever you call it. You know, they have cattle and horses, and no row crops, and so it might be a ranch, but anyway, we, we came up for the summer to help out, and uh, and we stayed. It's <laughs> on the 1st of May this year, in 23, it'll be five years. Oh, wow. And we didn't see that coming. Um, but this is where the Lord has us, and it's become increasingly obvious that this is where we're supposed to be. Yeah, amen. Yeah, and so... I uh, don't know how to say it. The, the, they were building an addition onto their house mm-hmm. and um, had a hard time finding a contractor. And then Casey Kitchen said, I'll do it. And so that's how I we became involved. That's how we met anybody um, to, having to do with Trenton Post. Oh, wow. Uh, so Casey and... Uh, Freeman Detweiler were working together at the time, and so they were like the contractor. And so they built the house. Eddie Kurtz's team did all the concrete work. Oh, wow. Reuben Weigler did all the tin work <laughs> on the siding and on the roof. Good guys uh, to meet. Felty Bontrager, he did the, um, the guttering and that kind of stuff, and I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. And so Casey invited me to encounter. And um, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, I mean, in all these years and all the struggles that I've had, I've never doubted my faith in the Lord. Uh, but I also knew I was in kind of rough shape. And so I went a couple times, and then the Lord just let me know, you know you're going to do the server training. Oh, because, I mean, I missed the server training because we, yeah. we were not here or something. And so I did it online, and, uh, and then the Lord said, uh, I mean, then I just knew. I had this knowing inside, write out your testimony. Um, okay, I'm, I'm 61 years old. Which testimony? You know, oh, that one, the embarrassing one? And Lorinda said, <laughs> it was a Friday night, I think. She said, Jim, what are you going to do tonight? I said, homework. <laughs> I have an assignment. <laughs> I don't want to do it. And I'm not going to tell that testimony right now. It's not, not the point. But the, the, the point is the Lord said, we're going to be involved in encounter. Amen. And then in, in post. Amen. Um, and so it has been a remarkable, growing experience. How many times have you been down to encounters? Encounter. Oh, I don't know. We're kind of newbies, and so probably just about 10. About 10. Because I know there are people that have been doing it for years. 
but I went the first time, and then I've, I, I guess I've served, you know, I wasn't ready to answer that question six, eight times, I don't know, something like that. That's the first time I met you down there. You was in a, I was in bunks across from each other in a, as we was both servers. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of have heard of each other, but didn't really, had ever spoke to each other, so. Yeah, we really didn't get to know each other that much. It's weird. Then, uh, of course, when you're serving, you just don't have a lot of time in your cabin. Well, roger that. And just kind of led to, I don't know when the big point was where we started getting closer. I don't know if it was after talking to you about the podcast or whatever, but it just seemed like we'd start seeing each other more and just start building a bond there. Then, uh, and it just keeps getting better and better, let's say. Yeah. No, so. It's good stuff. I tell you what, the love of the brothers, it, it, it means everything. Right. It, uh, there came a point in Iraq on my second tour where um, I just through a series of events I had uh, kind of worked myself too much. I mean, when you're a chaplain, you have a job like everybody else during the week. Mm-hmm. And, but then if you have any pastoral inclination, you get a reputation for that and then they'll assign you to be a pastor of a congregation or whatever. Not everybody is and I always was. And so you're always... You have to be really careful. You go seven days a week, which is ungodly, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you try to take some time off. And then between that and just situations in the Army, I had a couple extra jobs. There were a couple of months, and I, I worked myself into the hospital. I mean, I just I had pressure, pain, and tightness in my chest, and shortness of breath, and mm-hmm. nausea, and wouldn't go away. And finally, after a few hours, I said, well, I... I I guess I'm going to the emergency room. And the short of that was, it was, all right, chaplain, you're going to, you got a clean bill of health. You're good, but you're going to slow down one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, by then, you know, the summer was ending and people were coming in and that was on a Thursday and a Friday. And then the following Monday, I signed into another brigade to go back to Iraq for a year. And I was already burned out. I was on heart medication so that was a rough year, and it just got to the place where I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but I wasn't making it. I had my spiritual disciplines in place, but it's like I was just on a downhill gradual. I don't know if it was what I was headed towards. I don't know. And the Lord put a brother in my path, and uh, ironically, I was his chaplain, but he was a senior senior person in the military and um and i knew i had to go talk to him i I went to his office one day and i said can we come to my office where it's quiet and can we talk and the lord so we would just share our struggles together worship the lord out loud just the two of us which is quite awkward for men but i was very desperate and we would share scripture etc and the lord met us there um, and I mean, I remember a couple of times looking at him. I said, Master Sergeant Brown, what just happened? I mean, I, I was so low when we came in here. I felt like I could have walked under the door. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of scary. But now I feel joy. I Amen. feel his power. I feel his presence. I, I can't describe the difference. I mean, I know what happened, but I kind of feel like asking, what just happened? How did he do this? You know, I know he's real. And I said that to say, 
that was the first time in my life where the Lord said, you need your brothers. I know you care about people, but you don't really feel like you've needed them. Yeah. No, you need your brother, dummy. (laughs) And so that happened then, and um, it's happened a second time. But anyway, I guess I'll I'll share this. Towards the end of active duty, over the last three years before we retired, we re- I received four different prophecies from people. Um, one came through a series of events that probably it'll take too much time to go into the details, but um, the Lord worked it out. We were not even supposed to still be in that assignment. We should have left, but we were there when that man, when that prophet, that man of God came and uh I don't think he would say that about himself, but the Lord just used him. And we had some mutual dear friends, and they said, we want you to meet this guy. And so turns out we were still there. And so we all went out to supper one night and uh, <clears throat> then went over to the, our, our friend's house for dessert afterwards, and then it was getting late, and nothing had really happened. You know, they say he prays for people and, you know, whatever. The Lord gives him words. And, well, it was 1130 at night. <laughs> I don't stay up that late. I get up early. And so anyway, it was like, hon, I, 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 we got to go if you don't mind. And so we said our goodbyes, and so we're, we're about leaving, and, and he says, hey, do you, do you mind if you take a minute and let me just pray for you? Yeah, sure, you know. Then he pulls out a chair, <laughs> says sit down, <laughs> pulls out his phone, and he's going to record it. And the short of it is, he prayed over both of us. He nailed both of us. I mean, he said, I see you as a boy. This is what you were like. And he, I mean, he nailed me. So it was kind of long. I, I'm not going to go into all of that. But at the end, he said, you are not retiring. You are refiring. Oh, wow. You're in a cycle that's going to lead to a higher cycle, higher and higher. And the Lord's not finished with you. Well, I knew that. And so I didn't take that as seriously probably as I should have. I thought, well, that's inspirational talk. That's nice. And I, and I believed it. You know, I know I'm not done. Get to the next assignment, and there was a woman that, that said, uh, I'm supposed to come over and pray for you. Do you mind if I come over? And uh, it was the following year after the first word. And I said, sure. So she came into my office, and she anointed me with oil, and she prayed, and she goes, the Lord sent me here to tell you you are not retiring. You are about to launch. I went, <laughs> okay. And then another year went by, and another woman told me that. She goes, I'm, I'm supposed to say something to you, you know? And so I'm going, okay, I, maybe I should be writing these things down. That's, <laughs> there's a pattern evolving here. And then, and then during my last year there, <clears throat> um, I'm not, not going to give all the details, but there was a, a man that I met with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, w- it was an official meeting in the military. Uh, and, and, but then he said, he said to me, he said, you know, as a lieutenant colonel, you have a certain amount of influence. However, the Lord is about to greatly expand that influence. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, sir, why did you say those words to me? And he said, because I pray before I do these things, before we are these meetings. And uh, that's what the Lord told me to tell you. Oh, wow. And at that point, I began to get a little nervous. I remember listening to a preacher one time who said, 
when he was a little boy, he would see all these experiences that people would have in the Bible with God. And he said, well, I'd like to have one of those amazing experiences with God. And then he said, as I got older, I realized those were given to them as ballast. They were about ready to go through some heavy seas, and they would need that to keep their ship stable. And he goes, yeah, I think I'm good, Lord. Yeah, I'll pass. And I realized the Lord is giving me ballast. It's fixing to get rough. Oh, wow. And I didn't see it coming how bad it was going to get. I mean, I knew I was tired. Um when we were leaving active duty, but I didn't anyway. And so we came here and it was just like, I collapsed. I had a job offer. I'm glad it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. I was in no condition. Um, and so this is in short has been a time of healing being out there on the ranch, cutting firewood, helping with chores, doing stuff. Um, and then being involved with Trenton post. Right. Um, and there, there came a point in my second encounter where I just knew refiring has begun. Um, and then there came a point when it's like, okay, Jim, you're refired. Let's go. And so that's where I am. I mean, the Lord is moving in Lorinda's and my life as never before. I'm so excited. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what it's going to look like. And I, I frankly, I don't really care. Right. Um, I just want to walk with the Lord. And Amen. As uh, the prophet was praying over Jim, um, did he prophesize over you too that kind of the same thing? Or Oh, um, he nailed me in different things, but it wasn't in a direction that I remember. Do you, Jim? No, but share whatever it is that, I mean, I, I remember how it impacted you, and so share whatever you like. I wasn't prepared, and now my mind has gone blank. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I believe it, it, it just impacted me. The Lord has spoken to me different times mm -hmm. in the past, and they were always at, important moments that something was happening. So it had been a while since a word from the Lord had come from, from me. And when he gave it, I remember just thinking the preciousness of that and um, and that it was for a reason because it's always for a reason. Amen. And so to um, to hang on to and to give um, hope, <laughs> and that was really good for what was coming, you know, because it's, it's been hard. Jim's had a lot of physical issues, so that meant, you know, that affected me in that he was, either we couldn't travel very much because of his leg issues. Mm -hmm. He couldn't ride in the car for, for a while. It wasn't 30 minutes or an hour, and so, you know, medicine they gave him was throwing up and so he'd be alongside the road you know and like just pull over and we'd be in the middle of nowhere not even a good place to pull over <laughs> no shoulder <laughs> but um so that was a for that was a hard couple of years and so I think 
um, the encouraging word that the Lord had given me there was to be able to to hang on and and to walk through this, you know, in knowing that he sees me. Amen. Right where I am, and he knows my inner self because that's what he was revealing at that time in the you know, inner thoughts and different things, and you go, yes, the Lord, he hears. Amen. He knows. And then kind of like him just, it was kind of like tapping me on the shoulder. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> and um, and so for me, that was really precious. That's, oh, oh, well, I don't know how that, okay. Um, there was a very special part of that. I didn't know how that applied here, but. Um, one reason I knew that was the Lord was um, our son was going through a very difficult time. And um, in that word, he was speaking personally to me. And then he said, wait, the Lord has been showing me that you are having sleepless nights and things about this family member and I went oh and he goes um and that um I believe it's a son I I'd heard that so clearly and then um I went whoa you know because I've got two girls and a boy you know and you go okay and then um because I always want to know that a word is truly from the Lord amen and then I embraced that, but I just want to know it's from him. And he was giving those details. And then he said, I want you to rest in me because I've got this in the palm of my hand and I'm going to lift from the bottom up. And I thought, well, we're at bottom, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so I, or I was kind of thinking, I hope that's bottom. <laughs> he said, I'm doing things that you cannot see. And I'm doing, yeah. And that, and then he went on a little bit more personal. And then the guy uh, said, I don't know what that was. It just sort of sprang in there, you know, while I was praying for you. I just, there, <laughs> there was this knowing that there was something that she needed. And so that awesome. was in August of that year. And by one year later, God was lifting him up. Mm. And he, uh, he is walking with the Lord. God restored him and. Did a miracle. God did. You know, I didn't know how long, you know, it would be before that word would would come forth. And so, you know, obviously we saw that word happening sooner than we've seen Jim's word. We (laughs) that's more like several more years for that. But the one thing I know when when God does prove himself, that that's what we're supposed to hang on to. Because that's the God. I am. Mm-hmm. And so we hang on to going, yep, God's going to heal Jim. This yep. is going to happen because of what he has said, and it will be for his purpose. Right. So. To kind of go back to what she was talking about, we had some leg issues and different uh, problems, um, and just being a chaplain. I don't even really know what a chaplain would do, but it sounds like a lot more uh, going on than I could uh, imagine if you'd want to. Talk about some of that, Jim. Being a military chaplain is a, a very unique position. Um, 
and I, I explained it to people in this way. I wear rank and I wear a cross. <clears throat> in my rank, I work for the government. And I, a chaplain is there to guarantee or to, to facilitate the free exercise of religion of everybody in that unit. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have my convictions. But as an American citizen, I don't want the government telling me I have to worship or I can't worship. Mm -hmm. And yet the government sends you to some far-flung corner of the earth, and how are you going to practice your religion? Well, that's one of the things that the chaplain is there for. And so, um, how do I say this? Basically, if there is a, a big enough group, six people or something like that, well, it... I'm trying to see how I can say this quickly without giving too much information. But we help various groups to meet. We will help them to have a, a religious lay leader. They have to, and that lay leader has to go through the, the denominations, you know, whatever faith they're of, be it Jewish, LDS, Muslim, whatever have a qualified lay leader, and then you're going to have a place that you're going to be able to worship. And I will help you to facilitate that. I'm not going to be in there. I'm not going to put it on because I don't believe that, you know, Islam or whatever. Um, but as an American citizen, I believe you should have the free exercise of religion. Well, that's our First Amendment. Mm -hmm. Congress will make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise and so chaplains exist because the military regularly impinges on free exercise. I don't care. You know, you're not going home. It's, I don't care if it's Sunday. You're in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the chaplain will be here Tuesday, you know, and that's when whatever. And so I'm, I'm there to facilitate that free exercise of religion. And we call it cooperate without compromise. I don't believe that personally, but I believe that you should have a right to worship. And so the chaplain facilitates that. And then on, on the other side, as a, as a Christian minister, then I provide chapel services according to my faith. And that's where the army never told me what to preach. I preach Jesus, Amen. the only way of salvation. Um, and so it's kind of a strange thing in that sense, there's a duality. People think, oh, you really don't believe anything because you have to, you know, be there for everybody. No, <laughs> I'll help them worship. And I'll say, hey, how, how did everything go? Did you have the electricity that you needed? Did you have enough materials? You know, I'll, I'll facilitate the logistics. I'll help you advertise and all that kind of thing. But I'm not going to be there. Um, I'm not going to provide that. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so you do both. But also what you do, and I, maybe this is a commercial about the military chaplaincy, um, it's increasingly difficult these days because of the issues with marriage and the definition of marriage and all, all those types of things. But the beautiful thing about being a chaplain is that you rub shoulders with and you're, you're expected in the workplace of people who would never darken the door of the church. And so that's why I wanted to be an army chaplain. Mm -hmm. I said, I want to be in the mud with the soldiers. 
if they're in the mud, I want to be in the mud. If, and then when you're out there on the ruck march with them and, you know, you don't dare fall out, you <laughs> don't be that guy. But if you can hang, you know, and you don't complain, it's like, hey, the chaplain's all right. And then you're out there in the motor pool with them or out there in the field or whatever. And people who would never come to the church would, would go, hey, chaplain, you got a minute? Can we talk? And you lead all kinds of people to the Lord. I mean, it's just, uh, it's very special. To me, it's one of the best jobs in the world. Amen. I, it, was, it was an honor. It was a privilege for me to serve as a chaplain. That's honestly how I feel about it. So you was out there in the field. There wasn't no regulations that you could, you could speak the name of Jesus. You, wouldn't, you didn't have to keep a, whatever the word would be. Well, here's what we do. We distinguish between events that are mandatory attendance and voluntary attendance. When you come to chapel on Sunday or whenever, you know, the chaplain is holding an event, a religious event, that's voluntary attendance. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to go to a memorial ceremony or if there's a, cha uh, a the, the chaplain will te teach all kinds of classes, there's all kinds of different things you do. It's a multifaceted job. And so there'll be briefings that I'll have to give. And the government requires them to be at that briefing. The commander requires them to be there. Well, I'm not going to preach Jesus there. They're forced to be there. Mm -hmm. And we don't have government-sponsored religion. I don't want the government to tell me I have to be a Christian. And so, as a government employee, I am not going to preach Jesus then. That's a mandatory attendance event. Mm -hmm. Now, a voluntary attendance event, yeah. Pull out the Bible. I'm going to preach Jesus. Amen. He changed my life. He can change yours. This is what the scripture says. And we, and we have a chapel service Amen. out anywhere around the world. I mean, in a bombed out building in Bosnia, you know, with rain dripping down through the roof and I got my guitar and, <laughs> and uh, we're singing Amazing Grace and taking communion and, and I'm sharing the Lord with them. And it's, uh, it's very, very special. And I've done that. All, I mean, in a way, I wouldn't say all over the world because I've been deployed twice to Iraq and then to Macedonia and to Bosnia and then, you know, various places. Mm -hmm. But that's why the chaplain goes along. It's, uh, so it's, it's very special. And then also you're somebody that they can talk to where they know it's not going to go in their file. It's not like going to mental health where now you have a record. Oh, you had to go see the shrink, huh? Not doing so well. I mean, that's how the soldiers look at it. But you go see the chaplain, and I am bound by confidentiality. I cannot repeat what they say to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so they know it's going no farther. And so they can unburden. I'm ticked off about this. I'm ticked off about that. Or I've done this, and I've done that. And then it's, it's a safe place. And now they, are, they have unburdened, and they, they feel better. And we can pray about it, and there may be some follow-up or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. It's a, it's a great job. Other it's, than probably just seeing so much uh, just death and probably deal with a lot of that. That's the hard part. Yeah. I, I never really thought about that until you'd said something earlier and just like, man, just the, you almost have to see everyone that's suffering or everyone that's passed away. You probably have to do something with them, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's some of the residue, you know. That and the death notifications mm -hmm. when you're back in the rear, mm -hmm. back home, and somebody gets killed, and then the chaplain, and then 
whoever the other military person is, you've got to go inform. You know, it's like you see on the on the movies, you know, dress uniform, two people walking up to the door, and you knock on the door, and they open it up, and, and then you, you've got to inform them. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to inform you that so-and-so has been killed in action, and, and then they just freak out. And, so uh, you've been a part of a lot of that? Too many. Hmm. That, that, that left a mark. I, I bet. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'll say about that. Um, then, uh, saying you had some, uh, different kind of leg injuries and stuff like that. How does that, uh, what's occurred to happen to, how's that happen? That wasn't a specifically combat related or anything like that. Um, it's, 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 it's hard to say, but I have restless leg syndrome. And if I sit for too long or, or lie down for too long, mm-hmm. then the muscles just begin to slowly draw kind of painfully it's like a slow cramp oh wow um and then you, of it. then you have to move that's why they call it restless i mean you have no choice but to move and then so you move and it's relieved and then it'll start again in about 60 seconds wow <laughs> <laughs> but um <coughs> i'm on i'm on a good med for it uh, and so it, it it works and i'm waiting for the lord to heal me amen it'll happen I, yeah, I want that. I do. And also just the residue, the emotional residue. But I tell you what it does is I, the Lord has helped me. I think I'll just say a little bit about this, if I may, about the, P, the PTSD. The people that... I, I remember... I remember three things when I came home from Iraq the second time. I remember sitting in the room by myself. And it felt like I will never be okay again. That's what it felt like. I will never be okay. Mm. And that's a strange feeling. Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah. And so... I just had to go, okay, Jim, you've, uh, you know, I mean, emotional wounds are like physical wounds. You got to clean them out. It takes time to heal. And so, all right, you got, you have some limited capabilities. You've been wounded. I didn't even know if I could finish a career, to be honest with you. Um, But I said, okay, Jim, it is what it is. You've been wounded emotionally. And so it's going to take time to heal. So you just take it one day at a time. That's the, uh, oversimplification of the process, but we don't have all day. The second thing, feeling that I remember is you string a bunch of good days together, then then something happens, a trigger, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're having a bad day and you're going, I thought I'd be farther than this by now. This is a depressing. How long is this going to take? And without the Lord, I don't know that I would be here. And many service members choose to not be here anymore. It's a hard thing. And so part of my message is you you heal with hope. When when, when Iraq kicked off, I was tasked with writing a pamphlet about uh, what we called at the time combat and operational stress reactions, post-traumatic stress, many different names. And I came across uh, an article that said that an emotional wound is like a physical wound. If you get cut severely on your arm and, 
and you just pull down your sleeve and you ignore it. You don't have to be a medical professional to know what's going to happen. It's going to be festering and getting infected. It could get so bad that you eventually get gangrene. They cut your arm off to save your life. Now, if on the other side, if you would have uncovered that wound and then cleaned it out, that's a very painful process. And then you keep doing that over a length of time, you've got a pretty good chance of regaining full use of that arm. Now, that's, those are two drastically different outcomes depending upon uncovering it and cleaning it out. The problem is with men especially because most soldiers are men, not all, but it's just we don't want to show weakness. We don't want to admit that we have a problem, that we are hurting. So what do we do? We just slam the lid on it. How you doing? I'm fine. Oh, all is well. Well, what do you think's happening down there? You're not cleaning it out. And I remember after our first mass, mass casualty event, on my first tour in Iraq, there's a, a bad mortar attack, and they got 35 of our soldiers, and Jesse Meisner was killed that day. Um, but anyway, it was a very long, very bad night that I will never forget. Uh, and a couple days later, I was having a bad day. I was very irritable, and I, I didn't know why. And so we had prayer at the chapel every day at 1230, for whoever could come. And so I, I went to the chapel, and uh, I was early by myself. So I knelt down, began to worship the Lord, and I just started crying. Hmm. I unexpectedly just began crying. And I was embarrassed. I looked around. There was nobody there. And so I just let it go. I just cried for a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And then after I, afterwards, I went, oh, wow, what a relief. Okay, so that's what that was. And I realized, I remembered, you got to clean the wound. The wounds inside of me are festering and there's pressure building up and I was angry inside and I didn't know why I was mad. It's like, why am I so mad today? I had a good night's rest. I had a good breakfast. Why am I irritable? And then when we went, I went to prayer and I started crying and it went away and I went, okay, you got to clean the wound. Amen. And so I'm a man, so that's embarrassing that I cried. So I would get by myself whenever I needed to, and I would pray and I would cry and I'd till I was good, and then I did my job. I was always able to do my job. It was always later. And I'm I'm, I'm going to say this because this is very important because there are warriors out there that are still struggling with this. Now, when you're in a firefight and you get wounded, you're not going to go, oh, sergeant, I got a boo-boo. I need to go to the aid station. No, you're a warrior. You're going to do your job yep. until you die or the firefight's over. That's how it is. Yep. However, when that firefight's over, you better go to the aid station and address that wound mm -hmm. because otherwise it will get infected. You will become combat ineffective and we will lose combat power. So if you care about the mission and your buddies and everything, you better do the right thing and clean out your wound mm -hmm. so that you don't go down. Okay, when we come back home, it's the same way. I got it. You're a warrior. I understand. But dude, what do you think's happening down there when you've got that lid on 
and all, and you're self-medicating to try to numb it and whatever. The only reason I'm still here is because of the Lord, because of His presence. Praise God. Now, I I believe in a holistic approach to healing. I I do. I mean, you got to do the body, soul, and spirit. Um. I've done the counseling. I've done the vets group. I've done the meds. You need a holistic approach. But I will tell you that there were days when I had done everything that I could do and I was still hurting. And I would go get in the Lord's presence. And I would say, Lord, please meet me here. I need you. Mm-hmm. And I would, ex- I would worship him. I would experience his presence and I would just weep and and I would, it's been part of my healing. I don't do that very much anymore because as you clean the wound and keep going, <laughs> but the Lord's presence is what has given me joy and purpose and let me know that there is hope for the future. Because if you heal, if you're wounded and you don't think there's hope for the future, that's very bad. Because mm. then you go, mm, no thanks. But... If you know there's hope for the future, and that is the difference that the Lord has made for me. I don't understand why I still have some residual, but I know that he helps me in my suffering so that I can help others in their suffering. Yes. And so I guess I just want to say, I didn't know I was going to get into this today, to be honest with you, <laughs> but I just want to say for whoever is out there, there's hope. Amen. I, I mean that. I know what it's like. To feel like if this is what the rest of my life is going to be like, no way, no thank you. I'm freaking out of here. Pardon my language. Those are deep feelings. Mm-hmm. Those are very hard feelings. It's just, okay, I got to move past that. I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. And I know how the Lord gave me hope. And it takes time. Yeah. But, uh, he is good. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I got to tell you one more thing. When I came home, all I could do was write out the Psalms. I would just go through scripture. I mean, I was in bad shape. So I just started writing through the Psalms. And I got up to the 23rd Psalm. And you know, that's so common. I, I actually considered skipping it. <laughs> no, Jim, write the Psalm out. And so I wrote it. And I don't think it had ever hit me before that the, the person changes there. In other words, second person, third person. When that psalm starts, it's in the third person. It's like, I'm telling you about my Lord, but I'm talking to you about him. That's three people. So the Lord, he is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness' sake. He restores my soul. That was backwards, but anyway. And then it switches. And it's, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now I'm not talking to you about the Lord anymore. Now I've turned and I'm talking to him. I'm not going to fear any evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I know that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I will tell you 
that it's in the valley of the shadow of death that it gets personal. Amen. That's where it shifts from I'm talking to you about the Lord to where it gets more personal with the Lord than ever before. And to me, that's one of the signs of it. It might seem silly, but it changes to the second person. You're with me, Lord. That's where it gets personal with the Lord. And that's what's happened with me. He means more to me than he ever has. I can't put that into words. He means everything to me. I would not be here without him. And so let me just say for anyone who's listening, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not... I'm talking about Jesus. Amen. I'm not talking about obeying rules and regulations and trying to do better and all that kind of stuff that goes along with what religion has become sometimes in America. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Yes. He's here. You can talk to him. He's listening. And there's hope. There is hope. You, you will probably have to reach out to a brother. If you're a man, a sister, if you're a woman, right? You know, you can to whomever. But uh, there have been times I, oh, I said there were three things I remembered. <laughs> I only gave two, and you got to cut me off if I'm going on too long. Yeah, go ahead. The third feeling I remember when I came home was I was doing a lot better, and then I had a very bad day. And I had to reach out to a friend. So I called a guy. I couldn't call that guy that I spoke, that I, you know, talked to that one time in Iraq because he was already back in Iraq. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I talked to somebody else and I called him. And so it, it was good. It helped. But then the next day, I was having another bad day. And I was too embarrassed to call again. That's what I remember. I was too ashamed. I was so ashamed. And it's like, he's going to say, Paulson, wait, dude, you're drowning in three feet of water. Stand up. You know? I mean, he's, and I was too embarrassed and ashamed to call and say, I, I still need help. And I did not call, Brian. I didn't call anybody. By God's grace, I made it through it, but I'll never forget that. That is a very dangerous place to be. Amen. Is you've got to reach out for help. And so the man well, I don't know. Maybe there's a question that you have. I don't want to start off on another long story. I, I got a bunch of them. Um, um, you know what? May I share this? Yeah. The guy, the guy that I shared with, he, he actually was, he led our denominational chaplains conference. And so he said, Jim, because our conference was some months later, and he said, I want you to share part of your story because you've always been transparent. You were, he said, you were transparent before transparent was cool. <laughs> and he goes, we got a bunch of young stud chaplains here who just got back from deployment. And they don't want to show weakness. And they don't want anybody here who might be their superiors to detect any sign of weakness. I want you, as one of the senior chaplains, I want you to set the tone. And so I told part of my story. The short of it is this. We're at the banquet at the last and I noticed one of my friends get up and leave the banquet in the middle of it. And I thought, because I mean, we were, I, I was, you're just attuned to watching out for each other. Mm-hmm. And so I saw him get up and leave and I thought, hmm, 
I hope he's okay. Well, it could just be poor bathroom planning. I'll wait. So I was about ready to get up and go after him. And he came back in, sat down. I went, okay. So I talked with him afterwards, and I said, hey, man, you all right? And he said, Jim, I'll tell you this, but I won't tell anybody else here because I don't trust anybody here. And I'm, I'm thinking, dude, we're all chaplains. This is not rational. And then he said something that scared me. He said, I had to leave because all I could see was all those people up there on the platform laid out on gurneys, covered in blood and dead. And I got tired of seeing that. So I left. <laughs> and he scared me. I went, oh, my goodness. No wonder you don't want to tell him. I mean, he, he scared me. And then I remembered he just came back from being at the combat surgical hospital for a year. In other words, when there's a wounded, when there's something that happens on the battlefield, the chopper comes in and picks up the wounded, and then it takes them somewhere. Well, that somewhere is the combat surgical hospital, mm -hmm. the cash. Yeah. And so he was the chaplain at the cash. So, I mean, that's all he saw. He says, we went six months before we had one day when nobody died. And so I, I tried to, to talk with him a little bit about, man, you got to clean out the wound. You got to uncover it. And he said, Jim, you don't understand. I have an iron grip on my emotions. And if I loosen my grip, I will lose my mind. I'll never forget it. He said, I will lose my mind. You don't understand. I backed off immediately. I mean, you don't push combat vets. <laughs> I don't like to be pushed. I said, hey, man, got it. But... Called him a month or two later, said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm fine. It, he said, normally I'm fine. It's just that when you get in a conference like that where they're talking about that stuff, it stirs it all up. Oh, yeah. You know, he said, I'll be fine. And, oh, by the way, I'll be working on it. I, I listened. Oh, good. You know, and so I, I, I saw him about a year later or so, and we went to a, a course together, and we were at the chaplain school, and I was right behind him going into the, into the building, and uh, I knew his wife. And so I said, I, I called him by name quietly because I didn't want to embarrass him. And I said, uh, so are you emotionally available for your wife? And as he's opening the door, he looks over his shoulder back at me and he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he just walked into the building. <laughs> but I knew he'd be working on it, you know. And, and actually, I was going to, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about this some at the veterans encounter coming up in April. Um, there's one for veterans uh, because they can't go to the men's encounter. There's a thousand people there, and these guys don't deal well with crowds if they have PTSD. And so, anyway, so I, I've got to contact him before to see how he's doing. But, um, but the, few, the the several times that I saw him afterwards, doing better. He he was doing better, and I guess I just wanted to share that because he he scared me. Yeah, he really scared me. Um, and it, it, that I could I could tell many stories like that. Uh, for the sake of time, I will not. But uh, these are kind of mild stories compared to many. But I I have several friends who were self medicating. I had one friend. He, he fully intended to suicide by cop. He was a drunk on drugs, combative, he, just PTSD. He'd been in inpatient treatment. Nothing worked until he met Jesus. Amen. Great physician.
had several friends like that. But, uh, yeah. Had to see a lot of stuff being a chaplain, Jim. It'd be understandable why it'd be very difficult to, why some days would be difficult. We just pray to pray to the Lord that uh, He will heal you physically and mentally, and just uh, um, remove some of the stuff from your mind, the resin you call it, and just give you just a clear, just to fill you full of joy and peace. And and He does. And I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm crying, but. Part of this is because I care about my friends Amen. and I know their pain. And part of this is because of the joy of what the Lord has done for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see the joy. I, I can't talk about it too much right now because I would just weep. I am so grateful that I have his presence every day. I go before the throne in my mind by faith mm-hmm. and I worship him. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Brian, I live that every day. God is my witness. I have some bad days, yes, but I get up in the morning and I go before the throne and I worship my Father. And I feel his joy. And that's how I make it every day. That's very real to me. And that's part of the reason that I'm weeping too. Just pure joy. <laughs> As I hear your testimony and just uh, the part of being burned out and signed up for more, that kind of reminds me when I was burned out of my company and signed up for more, um, to do more and just how what that led to me. And just uh, even though a lot of your stories are about the military, even as uh, kind of just remind me even about uh, of being married, of just uh, how things are what you're saying, but how it's resonating to me is just uh, unbelievable. Then how it's uh, we signed up and he's burned out and uh, what that led to you to really bring you back closer to the yes. Lord, just like it did myself and going through the cancer treatments and uh, how that time just was just so close to the close, so close to the Lord there. So just sometimes that are so rough, um, you look back and sometimes it's the best times of your life of how close she was to God. Oh, absolutely. That's where he meets you. Right. It's in the crucible. Yeah. Yes. I, I could go on a long time about that, but I won't. Don't worry. I was just going <laughs> to ask Lorinda that uh, as you went through this, when Jim had come back and seen him, you know, really <coughs> hurting, how that uh, really affected your life and maybe just uh, um, how you dealt with that. Well, let me see. The kids were teenagers then. And so part of it was just keeping the home going and keeping things going. Because in the midst of this, he was still pastoring a congregation. The Lord always seemed to have that. Um, And so that kept you driving forward and just keeping the home fires burning, Mm -hmm. supporting him in that, um, you know, hard to see him, giving him that private time when he just said, I need to spend time with the Lord. And... Um, supporting him in prayer and just, um, you know, I, I believe when we got married, it was to, um, it was to be the partnership and to be together and better or worse. Mm-hmm. And that was some of the worse, you know. Yeah. Um, but God was faithful, and so we 
we just kept putting one foot in front of the other with the Lord and just kept moving forward, you know, doing the daily things. So a part of me, I, I don't pick out specific things. We just kept going forward for where the Lord had called us. Amen. She's being very modest. <laughs> I tell you what, she carries the caregiver burden. That's a heavy burden. And there were times that I had made promises. I said, Hunt, tonight when I get home, I'm going to change out that light fixture or whatever it is, you know. And, and that was my full intention. But something would happen at work and it'd be a trigger. And I'd come home and she'd look at my face and she, she'd say, just go to your chair, Jim. It's okay. Go get with the Lord. And never once, as she complained, mm. never once, yeah, that's a good woman. Yeah, I don't uh, know Lorinda very good other than today than we spoke last night, but just uh, what a what a blessing that uh, the Lord gave you, Jim. I cannot say enough. I mean it. The Lord is my witness. He's right here. Mm-hmm. He knows I'm telling the truth. Yep. Yeah. And I would have to say, since I don't walk on water, <laughs> um, I think through that, um, I also had a support group. Um, in the military, we have... Uh, Protestant women of the chapel. So it was our women's Bible study group. Wherever we went, it was a a program that is overseas, whatever else. And just a bunch of ladies, um, very much on the encounter model of we belong to different church backgrounds, but we come together to um, support one another and have Bible studies about Jesus. Amen. And so those women were my support part, you know, that, and, and through that, some of their husbands were going through some of the same things. So you could share those things and pray about those things. And I knew that that was the one reason we were going through it. Some people want to think that, oh, because you're a pastor or a chaplain or you guys are in the ministry that you guys are exempt or something. And that's not true. You know, and this brought it very real down to him. Say, yeah, my husband's dealing with some of these same things, and we could pray together and touch the Lord together in that. And so, um, yeah, I didn't do it alone <laughs> by any means, or um, and the Lord had supplied that. That's what I know. And so, um, yeah, yeah. The most important thing is, don't matter if you're a pastor or what you are, you just can't. Uh, isolate yourself and you need and you can't just keep pushing problems down as Jim was talking about cleaning out the wound is and are not clean out I just kind of see that as just pushing things down and not uh, and cleaning the wound out would be getting down to the root of the problem and uh, getting that out of there instead of just letting it letting it get infected or let it whatever the word would be so um, it's very good um, well Jim when did uh, Kind of start back at the first again. When did you get? When did you find the Lord? Was your grew up in a house? That, uh... Yeah, I'm a I'm a preacher's kid. Yeah, preacher's kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I remember very clearly giving my life to the Lord at the age of four. Oh wow! Um, and then you know a thousand times since. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose really we should do it every day uh, to renew that vow and to say I am yours and you are mine. Um, but I, I, I remember 
as a teenager sitting in church services or camp meetings or whatever it would be, and and I, I and the presence of the Lord was so powerful and real, and the preaching was powerful. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there because I was always kind of a skeptic. You know, is this real? Is it just emotionalism or, you know, whatever? But I remember two occasions especially. I sat there and I said, number one, this is real. And number two, I want to do that. Pointing at the preacher. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that was God's call. You know, then there, there came the time when I was, I'd graduated from high school and I was living at home, paying rent, working a full-time job. And uh, my dad came to me and said, uh, Jim, you need to decide what you're going to do with your life. And I went, oh, why? Well, I guess I do. You're right. <laughs> And, and so I, I began to pray and it's like, Lord, you know, and it, and, and I don't know that I have a strong memory necessarily of exactly how that process went, but there was a knowing. I knew, I knew there were three things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a woodworker. I wanted to be a musician and I wanted to be a preacher. The only thing I could see myself doing for the rest of my life was being a preacher uh, and, and, and when I came to that point, it just, there was a, such a strong knowing and resonating, and it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be. I went back to my dad, and I said, Dad, I've got a calling to be a preacher. And his response was, yep. <laughs> <laughs> he already knew. Huh? He already knew, but he wasn't going to push me. <laughs> and my mom... <coughs> She said, boy, you better know that you know that you know. That's a tough road to hoe. Uh, there are going to be days that the, the only thing that's going to keep you in there is you know that God called you. Yep. But I, I know that he did, and I've never looked back. How old was you when you told your dad that? Oh, I was probably 17. 17? Yeah, 16, 17. And you went from there to college? To, or? Yep, to Bible college when oh. I was 18. And, uh, and then from there, you know, after four years of college associate for four years then I went to seminary if you're going to be a military chaplain you have to have a master's of divinity that's a three-year master's Mm -hmm. Um, so we went off to seminary and then in the assemblies of God they were my endorsing agent Um, if they're going to endorse you because you you have to have an endorsing agency it's kind of like you can't just walk up and say well I'm a doctor they say well you go out there to the people that make doctors and have them give their endorsement and then you bring that to us same for a lawyer, same for a chaplain. So you have to have an endorsing agency. And the Assemblies of God endorsing agency said, well, you haven't been a senior pastor yet. We will not endorse you for active duty. And so then I, we went to New Haven, Missouri, and pastored there for three and a half years and, and, uh, and then went into the military in 92. Now, how old was when you married your beautiful wife here? 23. No, nope. nope. 22, and you were 21. Okay, I was 22. Where did you guys meet at? Bible College, Ellendale, North Dakota. Was you going to be a... Oh, my lands, that's a whole miracle in itself. (laughs) How long do you have? Yeah, (laughs) our story gets long. (laughs) Um, No, I came from a totally different background. And so I grew up on a farm in northwestern Iowa until I was about nine and then um, all my family still hails from there, but um, situations took moved my folks to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
when we were in Iowa, my mom and dad, we belonged to a church and they would go most Sundays and especially Christmas and Easter, yeah. you know. <laughs> but when we moved down to Arizona, um, they stopped going. And so um, I got I got saved um, when I was 12 years old. And then, but he didn't start becoming the Lord until I was about 16. Mm-hmm. And, and in between that time, um, my family was kind of dysfunctional in many ways and different things, but God brought godly people into my life. Amen. And they were inviting me to the, some of these, uh, the charismatic movement, movement was going on there. And so there were meetings and different things and my folks didn't seem to care. They let me go. And I'm, were, I was very thankful for that freedom that they gave. And so, um, over that and some more other testimonies and stories in themselves, um, I was 17 living with, um, this one family who had taken me in and, um, I graduated early from college, uh, from high school. And so I was working and I said, well, Lord, um, I don't have any money to go to school. So I'll, I'll work a little while and, and go. And, um, because I graduated early in January, um, my graduation was in May. I walked with uh, the class. Well, that day, a pile of mail from my mom's address had come to the house there, and there was a really fat envelope. And it said Trinity Bible College on it, and I went, what What in the world? And some friends in our, in our church youth group some had gone out to California, and I always thought I wanted to go to the California college. Yeah. And a couple had gone up to North Dakota. And I went, North Dakota is cold up there. <laughs> I'd lived in Iowa, and I remember. And, um, but the one thing I also remember is they were a year ahead of me, and they had come back at Christmas. And the change I had seen in their life was like, wow. Hmm. And I, it just, I just noted it. Well, um, this... And one of these guys happened to come to my graduation party. And and I opened up this envelope, and here is this letter. It was an award letter to go to college. And I went, ah. Oh. And so I went to this guy, and I said, hey, um, do you know what this is? And he goes, wow, I work in the financial aid office as a student worker. And he goes, we we don't send out these packets. He said, unless you applied, you have to send in money and apply. And he said, did you send an application? I said, nope. <laughs> I, oh, wow. I sure didn't. And actually to back this up for more of the story was I had an ungodly boss and five days before graduation, she had called me back to her manager's office and she said, um, are you planning to leave? And I had just started the job a couple months before, and I said, no. And the person before me had quit to leave for college. And she said, well, I, I've heard from good sources that you're leaving for college. And I went, oh, I don't think so. I said, I promise, you know, I've got nothing in the works. I, I live with the family I got to make money to do this. That's, that's not happening. And, and I just kept thinking, I don't know where she heard this. That was Monday. This was Friday. 
So, uh, and he, so he tells me, Lorinda, this, this is legit. And what it ended up being was I could go to Bible college for a whole year. They would fly me home to Arizona. They would fly me there, so it'd be two round trips was included in it. Most of it was under grants. They would give me a little bit of stipend money every month for shampoo and whatever. I mean, everything was being provided, and it said all that I would have to come up with for all the different expenses is $600. And I went, I can use less shampoo. I can do this. <laughs> and so I looked at that, and I went, oh, my goodness. And then I thought of my boss. I went, I told her I wasn't going anywhere, you know, and I didn't know what to do. But... um come the following Monday, you know, I had to talk to her and it was really hard, but all I, I don't know why God had some, through someone who did not believe in Jesus at mm. all to, to say something like that. But that's how I was leaving for Bible college. And so then a few people said, are you going? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, so you're going to get your MRS degree. And I go, no, no, I was thinking of an AA. I'm not going to get the B. No, no, your MRS. And I go, no, and AA, that's all I want. And they go, Lorinda, M-R-S dot Mrs. And I went, oh. <laughs> and I had never heard that before. Never thought about that. And they said, well, you know, girls go to Bible college to get married. And I said, you know, and marry preachers. And I go, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> I said, God just gave this to me because they have a business course. And I took business classes. And that's all I wanted. That's what I prayed about and I didn't play piano and I couldn't sing and I couldn't do all those little preacher wife's things and I didn't come from <laughs> the right pedigree you know it's like no I didn't grow up in a pastor's home how can I be a pastor's wife I, I can't do these things I've got these things that happened to me in my life there's no way I could do that so I said ha ha no no MRS degree I said I'm just going and I said I'll go for the year and then God's going to provide in another way Maybe it'll be somewhere else. And that's what got me to Ellendale, North Dakota. And um, it was about a year later when I met him. And again, that's a whole other story. I mean, just God moments of how that ever worked out. And uh, anyways, personally, if ever anyone ever meets me, we can talk about that. <laughs> because they were just little God moments that let me know, like, okay, Lord, you're doing this. <laughs> And then we dated about two years, and we got married. Um, we graduated in May and got married that following August. Awesome. So, yeah. 40. 41. Yeah. No, it's going to be 42 this year. Well, in July. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, so. Oh, whoops. <laughs> whoops. A few years ago, and so sometimes it doesn't seem that long, you know. But, um, yeah, and God's faithfulness through that. So I remember uh, that's why I thought, well, Lord, I don't know, because I'm not, I never felt the calling to be a preacher's wife. I didn't know what that meant, you yeah. know. Um, but I prayed, and I said, Lord, if I'm not supposed to marry this man, please let me know, because God had let some things be known before that, and I knew that he would tell me, and then he didn't. You know, I stood at the top of the aisle saying, okay, Lord, <laughs> this is this is it, and and I just, I had a piece, and and we got married. And then later what I saw, so we were youth pastors and then senior pastors, and God was doing wonderful things. 
and teaching us all along. But when he took us into the chaplaincy, then it began to make sense of what my past was. Some things that were broken and whatever, it's because there's some very broken people in the military seeking for a change in their life and to do different things. And those are the people I could relate to. And so I went, wow, Lord, your plan, your plan is good. Praise God. So after you got married, then I guess you went into the military. Did you like your, your kids, they travel all over the, they was in Bosnia and Ireland. No, 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 no. Oh, the, the, you, you, you deploy by yours. You go you, by yourself. Yeah, you're, yeah. Just the, the military goes and then the family all stays behind. How was them times just being, a, how long was you away from your family at a time? <laughs> oh, you know, you'll go for a 30 day train up and then you'll deploy for a year mm. or six months. Um, and so I've done two year long deployments and two six month deployments. And then a whole bunch of just a bunch of little ones, you know, here and there. The first 30 days that I was gone, we just like, oh no, you know, and now we just laugh. He's like, we can hold our breath that long. Good grief. It was the <laughs> year that was hard. Yeah. But when you come home from a year, there's just been so much change. Yeah. I've heard yeah. of people, you know, you go away and then you come back, you know, and the wife has kind of had to be in that leadership role in a way, and the kids are kind of all going to one direction. Then the husband comes home, kind of got his own ideas, and it's just hard to get well, all that to keep working. That's actually part of the chaplain's job. This is what I would tell people. I said, listen, uh, uh, we have pieces of equipment in the military that are so heavy that they're, it's stenciled on them, two-person lift. This is a two-person lift. So don't try to move it by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell the guys, says, listen, a family is a two-person lift. And she's had, to try to do, she's had to do it by herself. So don't you be going home and saying, why is this this way and why is that that way? You, you just be glad it's not in the ditch somewhere. Right. You know, she had to manage a two-person lift by herself. And so... You just go home, chill out for a while. And uh, and we were blessed in that sense where, I don't know, I was telling some of this last night for some reason. I don't know why we were talking about it, but uh, it was, Lorinda can live, she can operate on her own without me. Mm -hmm. And I can operate on my own without her. But we prefer it together. Amen. <laughs> we prefer to do it together. Um, and so we just, you just have to negotiate those things. I mean, there's some things you, you take back and it's like, okay, good. You can fix the car now. Um, but every couple has to kind of figure out your own way. She paid the bills. Mm -hmm. I was in Iraq, you know, not really, can't really do that. Especially when Iraq first kicked off. You know, right. There's no communication to speak of. No, oh, man. <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's not like you have the internet and that kind of stuff. We didn't. At the start. Right. It was the dial-up. <laughs> Takes forever. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Some people do better than others. <clears throat> and uh, I... We, we were a team. Yeah, we was talking before we got started how you guys had just kind of worked as a team, just giving me some pointers. That was uh, just really awesome advice of just... Uh, when you work together and how different projects, how you start and you need a, a leader and 
um, just very, uh, it was very enlightening. You might, uh, you could talk on that some. Well, there's, when you get married, you're on a collision course, whether you realize it or not, because we are very different mm-hmm. and we're selfish. I mean, I don't feel my wife's needs, I'm very aware of mine, and then hers are very different and irritating sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a matter of, we just have to acknowledge that we are so different we laugh at it. I mean, it's, we approach everything differently. I would, if we're going to do a project, I would naturally just start in that corner. And she goes, oh no, we would start from here. And so we had to learn on some projects and just a silly, you know, we decided to replace the bathroom tile in our daughter's bathroom and we couldn't agree. You know, I think we need to start from here. No, no, no. I'm telling you, we need to start from here. And so we just went, whoa, okay, we got it. There, there needs to be one person in charge. And so we just decided, Florinda, this is your project. You take the lead, and I'll do what you tell me to do. And then there are other times when it's like, no, this is what we need to do, and she's in support. And so it helps us. We, we just have to acknowledge the reality that we are different. Right. And don't feel guilty about the fact that we have conflict. The Lord has given her things that he hasn't given to me, and I need to hear them. Mm-hmm. And then there are things that he's given to me that he hasn't given to her. And so we, we must work together as a team. And there are areas of expertise where I have to listen to her. Absolutely. That's the way God made it. Well, and in the military, I always remember hearing you say, Jim, that you guys staff your weaknesses. So it's like, well, that's also recognizing someone's strengths. So from early on, um, I I always handled our finances because I did business courses and that kind of stuff. And he was, you know, busy with ministry things. So I go, I can do this. And he said, yeah, that works. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think that's one thing we've always played to, too. Jim is a lot better on some physical things and um, things that... Yeah, fixing things and that kind of stuff, you know. And so we just kind of let each other person shine in their strengths, mm-hmm. you know, and not feel threatened by that. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't be threatened. Yeah, when you said uh, she needs to, you need to hear what she has to say, that really stuck out to me because a lot of things you know, our wives or girlfriends or other people would say to us that we do need to hear, that we just don't, our ideas are not always right. No, and I've got to be honest, um, I often find it initially irritating. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and then I have to go, okay, Jim, remember, you need to, you, she has input that you need. Mm-hmm. And so shut up and listen. Yeah, I mean, Jill's got in different situations, just like, uh, I know that I need her to, for some parts, for sure, but uh, kind of butt heads where we just need to be able to really just work together because we know that we need each other. Yeah, take without, turns. Without the other one, we're just oh. half as good. Yep. And, and and you can't feel guilty about the fact that you're so different and you butt heads. It's like, no, you're different. Yep. And so don't feel guilty about it. It's not like something's wrong with you. I mean, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, the point is, take turns. Yep. It's okay. That's good advice. 
as we're getting closer to the end here, we've been asking a question. Um, how have you been blessed um, most recently? What is Whoever wants to start will be fine. However, what's the most you've been blessed here most recently? What you've seen or something's happened to you that just uh, really sticks out to you? You want to give all the glory to the Lord for? I tell you what, uh, in all honesty, <laughs> we could start all over. <laughs> it could be just as long. Uh, I've just been learning. Um the Lord's been working in my life. There was something interesting that happened recently. Um, I was supposed to write out a, a marriage teaching for to share at Trenton Post. I mean, the Lord was just kind of dropping it in my mind. And, you know, sometimes the Lord moves on you strongly, and you know you're supposed to do something. But sometimes it's just kind of quiet, you know, and you don't realize that's, that's the Lord that's telling you to do that. And so he was telling me to do that, just kept coming to my mind, you, you need to do, and I'm just like, I don't want to write that out. Writing is hard. <laughs> and I just kept finding reasons not to do it. And then it's like the crispness of the immediacy of his presence that I have normally wasn't there. And I'm going, Lord, what, what's, what's wrong? And finally it hit me. I'm walking in disobedience. I mean, he's told me several times, several times he had impressed on me clear, you know, just small, but distinctly write this out, write this out. And I didn't want to. And, and I realized that's the Lord telling me to do that. And when you don't obey the Holy Spirit, you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And the flesh insulates from the spirit. You're not going to feel it's just, I mean, you walk after the flesh, that's death. You walk after the spirit, that's life and peace. It's pretty simple. Um, and so I obeyed, and I wrote out the things that I was supposed to write out. There were actually three separate things. And I tell you, when I did that, I, I, the relief, I, I literally felt like something lifted off my shoulders and, and just that crispness of his presence, the joy. And, mm. um, and it... I felt kind of silly in a way. It's like, yeah, you, you should know better than to disobey. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the Lord's just doing neat things like that, and I'm I, I'm excited. And I, so I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. There's a lot more I could share that the Lord <laughs> is doing, but uh, we'll be here all day. Well, and I think for me, um, these last couple of years, ever since we were married, we were in ministry and pointed towards there and, and a part of that. Um, so these last couple of years is, has been um, our, our children um, went along with us through it all. But a lot of times, um, you know, they took the back seat a little bit um, for ministry things mm -hmm. and, and different stuff. And, you know, from a mother's heart, um, you know, you, you just go, oh, Lord, you know, what what would their lives be? And um, so children will, um, they're growing and learning in all the same ways. And they may not always do what you 
wish they would do, you know, because they um, they have to make the faith their own, right? Too, and so in that time, um, anyways, I this this time that we've been uh, staying with our daughter and and helping out on the farm, I've just got to be around her more, and then our our, our other daughter calls, and our our son is not too far away too. And I've just kind of really gotten to um, have these years of uh, rest in a sense, but of, of time to see my kids mm. um, growing in the Lord and, and encounters been part of that for one of our daughters and, and uh, because she lives here, you know, more locally and the others are farther away, but um, it's such a blessing to be talking about the Lord with them on the phone and praying about things. And I just go, oh, Lord, they are women and a man of God that I'm so thankful to see, you know, at this time in their life. And I go, wow, they are they are farther than I was at 30, you know, 6, 37, I suppose. And, and I, I, it's such a blessing to me Amen. to be able to see God's faithfulness of all those prayers all the years and like Lord you know please if I've messed up you know would you redeem that mm-hmm. and and I feel that when I um, am able to be around them and see them and see them handle situations and I go oh Lord that is you working in their life and so that's that's my blessings. Amen. So. Yeah, it's awesome seeing your kids follow the Lord, that's for sure, instead of following the path that uh, I was on at one time. So just to praise God for that. Um, it's been awesome having uh, you guys on here. Uh, next time we'll have to have Jill on here with us, and maybe we can uh, do a teaching on marriage. I know that you guys have one uh, written up that we could uh, get more into. If you'd ever want to come back, that'd be uh, really awesome. Um, Jim, would you want to close us in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that you love us. And then you, you don't love us depending on, on, on our performance, but you just love us. And so we rest in that. Lord, help us to grow then in that rest and in that love that because we love you so much, we want to please you. And thank you for working that in our lives through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you next time.